0: Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to two different passages, Luke chapter 19, we're going to look at one verse, verse 10, and then we're going to go to Mark chapter 1. Luke 19 and Mark chapter 1, there's going to be a lot of other scriptures in this message uh, today, and uh, if you would uh, like You can go to calvary.online and click on today's message. It'll come up in the Bible app. All the notes uh, from the message today will come up, and you can add your own notes and save them there. Uh, Today I'm beginning a series called Seek and Save, Life on a Mission. Seek and Save, Life on a Mission. Now, all of us uh, uh, need need to understand that we have a mission from God. But, you know, sometimes we think that that's really complicated. We think that that's, man, that's going to be something very ethereal. We're looking for a sign. God, just give me a sign of my mission. Give me, a, give me, a, give me some kind of sign. But, you know, we're not real good with signs. I, uh, I heard uh, about a pastor who had planned this, this big dinner for the whole church, and uh, he had... He had gotten this uh, big basket of apples, and uh, he, he puts the basket of apples out, and he writes this little note down, and he says, Please, take only one God is watching. And he puts it down there. And this little boy sees the basket of apples, and he goes up and he looks, and he reads the sign. He's like, oh, okay. And he keeps looking down the table some, and he sees this giant plate of chocolate chip cookies. And he sees the plate of cookies, and he goes, and he grabs a card and writes a note. He says, please take as many as you like. God is watching the apples. You know, truth be told, listen, we misinterpret signs. We think we've got, you know, we we think we've got a sign and then we kind of change our minds about what our mission is. Well, I'm going to tell you, God's sending you a sign today. A pastor filled with a message sent from God's word to your heart, which will impact your life forever if you let it. This is the sign for us. And here is the message that each of us need to be awakened to. This is the greatest hour of revival and awakening in Christianity in the history of the world. This is the greatest hour. And many of us are asleep and we're, we're slumbering to this reality just a few weeks ago. one hundred and forty thousand people crammed into three stadiums in Brazil for one purpose, to lift high the name of Jesus, to come to pray, to lift his name. Now listen, uninvited, the president of Brazil came to the stadium in Brasilia. And in Brasilia, they heard the president has come. They invited him to the stage. And from the stage, he says this, I to day affirm my faith in Jesus Christ he gives his life to the lord and then he says this from the stage can you imagine what our networks would do when if the president stood up and said like that president he said brazil belongs to jesus what we would never let me just stand on this stage boldly and say america belongs to jesus there is a cry america still belongs to jesus Psalm 24 is true. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and everyone in it. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. This is the greatest hour of awakening. Nations are shaking under the power of God. And God is awakening us as a church to live on mission. Now, in the way that I approach my walk with God, it's very simple. So I think it, it, it really helps people in their walk with God. So if I'm ever, ever looking for mission within the scriptures, I don't look farther than Jesus. Bill Johnson says it regularly. He says, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. He's God's perfect expression in the earth. And Jesus says some very profound words about life on a mission. Right between the stories that we shared last week in here. And if you did not hear that message, please go to Calvary Online and listen to the message on stewarding resources. And to understand why generosity and an awakening are attached, Jesus put them together. And right, the verse right before the parable of the Minas, Jesus says something very profound about his mission. He says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. When Jesus declares his mission as one who seeks and saves, it is actually in perfect harmony with the desire of the Father. Because in John chapter 4, we find out about the Father, that he is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus gives his whole life, all of his life, on the cross to produce people who would who would actually become worshipers of his father in spirit and truth the father seeks worshipers so the son goes out to seek and save and you who have placed faith in christ have now become his body so his mission is yours This is why it's simple that our mission is to seek and to save. That is life on a mission, to seek and to save. But I want you to kind of grab hold of this this idea in a very personal way. Because I do believe in a corporate way that we as a church have a mandate to be a thriving local church that makes a global impact. That's what God has called us to be. We're we're called to be full of the life of God, full of the spirit of God, full of the love of God on a local way to profoundly impact Citrus County, to bring the kingdom of heaven to this place so that crime is affected, so that our schools are affected, so that our kids produce produce and change this world right from this little, tiny, obscure place. I believe we're supposed to be a thriving local church, but we are also called to make a global impact. But a lot of us don't think globally. We think very practically. We're just like, I just want my laundry done. If there were no dishes still needing to be washed at home, that would be revival. <laughs> and so sometimes our mission uh, becomes, becomes managing chaos instead of stepping into agreement with heaven. And God is, is actually showing us, will show us today in the scriptures, how to step out of that that grind, that hamster wheel that keeps us moving and yet going nowhere. Mark chapter 1, verse 16 is what I believe a powerful insight to how global impacts begin. Jesus has an encounter with two of his soon-to-be disciples. And we'll read this passage together and draw some insight from it. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, it says, And as he, this is Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to him, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. If I were to give you a summary in the beginning of this message, it would be this. Global impacts for Christ begin as a personal encounter with Christ. We all want something huge to be left as a legacy for Christ for our life. But it starts with a real encounter with Jesus. Do I have anybody in the house today who could actually testify of the day when everything changed? When he stepped in, when his power came off the page and became a living reality, where you passed from death to life, where you say, man, that guy, we had the same name, but I am not the same person because I had an encounter with Christ. He made a real impact. Now listen, if you're here and you can't point to that time where Christ impacted you that way, you may have had a religious encounter with Christ. You just haven't had a relational one. You actually may have had a generational encounter with Christ. I mean, mom was was Baptist and dad was Baptist and so I went to church. So I guess that makes me a Christian. No it doesn't. If you slept in the garage it wouldn't make you a car. (laughs) And we as a people, we cannot dream of global impact for Christ missionally Without living out of a deep well of personal encounter with Christ. He is what changes everything. So, life on mission is described in this passage is powerful. Life changing, simple truths. Life on a mission first answers Christ's call. Notice what he said to Simon, who would be called Peter, and Andrew. He says, follow me. Follow me. The son of the living God, creator of all things, is inviting us, as he did them, into a dynamic, vibrant, supernatural relationship, and it all begins by hearing his call. Have you ever tried to call one of your kids from another room and you did it over and over and over? You called them and they weren't coming and then finally you went to the door and opened it and said, Why aren't you answering me? And they said, I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. I was like, How did you not hear me? I was calling your name. How did you not hear me? I just want to tell you today, God's busting through the door of your life today, calling you by name, saying, come on out, come on out of the cave, come on out of where you've been hiding, come on out of this little world. I am calling you and saying, follow me. Jesus is calling you by name. Listen, church, listen, friend, he is calling you by name saying, follow me. It is the goodness of God that the creator of the, the universe would get so personally involved that he would he would look us in the eyes of our spirit and call us by name. And that's what he is doing. Hebrews 3, 7 says something very profound about this, about hearing God's call. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the day of rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. What is this talking about? This is talking about when God wanted to bring Israel into the promised land, and what they decided to do was to send 12 spies into the land. And most of you uh, know the story. Some may not. But the 12 spies, when they came back, two of them, Joshua and Caleb, gave a good report. Ten of them simply told the truth. So wait a minute. They told the truth? Yes. The 10 spies came back and they said, "Uh, guys... There's giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in their eyes. Now listen, for telling the truth, they died in the desert. The sin of the ten spies wasn't lying. The sin of the ten spies was believing that God wasn't the one who was calling them into a land of promise. They did not believe that their God was bigger than the giants that they were facing. And so those spies died in the same place because they would not hear his call to follow him into a land of promise. There were two, though, Joshua and Caleb. They said, we are well able to take them. If God is for us, who can be against us? They're saying, we are well able. All of the rest of them, all of the rest of them, who simply believe the truth apart from God's promise to call them into that new place to follow God all of them died in the same place. Listen to me, church. There is nothing but death Waiting on this on this lukewarm life that is just following your own desires, living by what you see in the natural. We cannot live that way. We have got to hear the voice of Jesus coming near to us, saying, Follow me, follow me, follow me. And we've got to be Joshua and Caleb's in our day saying, if God's for us, there is nothing that could stop us. There's no giant that is too big for our God. God desires to bring everyone into the promised land of his salvation. And no one has gone too far to be saved. I love what Romans ten thirteen says. It says, whoever. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a whoever. Whoever. Calls on the name of the Lord shall shall be saved. Man, that's enough to get up and want to run around the house in this Pentecostal church. I mean, if you call, you don't mean you have to, Cindy, but you can. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, if you call on the name of Jesus, the one who is calling you, you will be saved. No one, no one's left behind. You can experience this living reality of knowing the resurrection power of God. Hey, but you got to you got to notice what he says. He said, "Follow me." Here's what he didn't say, "Follow anybody or anything." He said, follow me. There's only one to follow. And new life is only found in Christ. Why only Jesus? Jesus in John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any, any one of them, anyone, snatch them out of my hand. Listen to this, He said, "My sheep follow my voice. They follow me." And what's, what's he say? "When you follow me, you'll get eternal life. Let me explain eternal life. Eternal life is not just a life one day in heaven. Eternal life is now. Let me say eternal life in a way that maybe will be more impactful for you to understand. It is resurrection life. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is that great getting up life that he had that first Easter Sunday morning. It is that life he gives to those who follow him. You do not find any eternal life in idols. You don't find it there. You'll leave totally dissatisfied and disillusioned. That's why he says, follow me because I give you eternal life. Answering Christ's call to follow him leads to eternal life. And no one else can deliver you from sin and give you that eternal life. So life on mission starts with answering Christ's call. Second, life on mission embraces transformation. Life on a mission embraces transformation. Notice what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. He says, I will make you, suggesting that they were not what they would be. Look at me, everybody. You need to change. I need to change. In our fragile society, that is so offensive to some. But it is where life is. Why? Because Jesus is on the other end of this statement saying, I will make you become. Oh, this is such good news. When I read the Gospels, I get really encouraged. Do you ever see what these guys he called did? Oh, my word. During their transformation, they spoke all kinds of things carelessly. They said all kinds of crazy stuff. I I, I just I, I love that, especially Peter. Peter was always just saying whatever came to his mind at first. Which is actually why I think God used him in such a powerful way, because he was willing to speak. And so here's this he, he, he spoke carelessly. How about this? They also lacked faith. How many times? The boat's going down, but Jesus is sleeping on the boat. I'm with the Son of God. This guy is working miracles. I'm in a storm. And they're like, get him up. Get him up. We're all going to die. And Jesus wipes the sleep from his eyes, rebukes the wind, the, the storm, and says, You of little faith. <laughs> During their transformation, they had no faith. Let me give you some, other, some of the other ones. They also had spiritual pride. Go, let me talk to the Christians in here who are definitely living for, you started living for God, and then you say, I got this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know what God's up to now. See, that happened for them too. He sent them out two by two. There was a city in Samaria that actually rejected them. They like, Jesus, we got this. You want us to call fire down on them? Is that what you want us to do? Call fire down on the city? Sodom and Gomorrah all over? Jesus said, you do not know what manner of men you are. He basically said, You have no idea what you're saying. You have no idea the heart and the purpose behind your assignment. Wow. They had spiritual pride. They slept at prayer meetings <laughs> with Jesus leading the prayer meeting, which makes me feel better about some of you who are sleeping now. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> They, it's all through the scriptures. There they are, praying, sleeping, praying, sleeping. Think about these guys. They're going through transformation, but these guys are like stumbling, stumbling. They all abandon Christ. Peter, at one point, toting a knife. Jesus trying to get to the cross. Peter gets in the way, cuts, cuts an ear of the servant off. Now Jesus has to fix what Peter has cut off. He heals the guy. Jesus, just look at Peter with a knife or a sword. By the way, this is just in my version of the Bible, when he swings it at the guy, I actually think he missed, and all he got was the ear, my opinion. So he, he, he wasn't even good at being bad. Thomas doubted, remember? He says, unless I touch his hands, his side, his feet, I'm not going to believe. But here's what you need to know. They all returned. They never gave up on transformation. They never gave up on these words that Christ said, I will make you. And then right before Christ is about to ascend into heaven after the resurrection. He says these words, thus it was written and it was necessary that Christ suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. What Is he saying, I am sending you the key to your transformation. It is the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in this this call to embrace transformation that replaces the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There is nothing that, that replaces it before the baptism at Pentecost. Before they are trembling, they are hiding. Even the resurrection didn't alter the way that they were behaving but the one who would deny Christ three times before the rooster would crow would be the one who, after Pentecost, would stand in front of thousands and say, You crucified the Lord of glory. Why would this one who cusses out a little girl around a fire in fear just in days later now be so transformed he stands before thousands, taking his own life in his hand with no regard for? the peril that was before him why would he do that because the holy spirit brings transformation and when jesus calls us in this day he says i'm gonna give you the key you will be transformed that's why Acts 1 8, right before his ascension, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. Not go witnessing, you will actually be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be changed. How do you, you say, Pastor? I, I, I'm not sure about that. Acts 4, when Peter and John were being persecuted for their faith in Christ, for the miracles that are happening through their life, notice what what the unbelievers say about them. They say, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. What were they saying? They're just like Jesus. They have been transformed. They're no longer these clueless fishermen on the side of the lake. They are like him. So, in this hour when we're living on mission, church, you have to stop saying, I can't change. You have to stop saying that. You could say, I can't, can't change in my own strength. That's legal. But for you to say... My dad was an alcoholic, so I'm going to continue to be an alcoholic, even though I know the truth. I've, uh, my, all my parents have been addicted, and so I'm just going to deal with addiction my whole life. Listen, that is nonsense. Hear the words of Jesus: I will make you become. I will make you become. If you are going to live a life on mission, you have to embrace a transformation that begins with Christ and is worked out in you you don't have to stay the same stop saying you're gonna stay the same stop agreeing with that nonsense the initial call was i'm gonna make you something you are not so what do we have to do we have to embrace that truth and allow the power of the holy spirit to come into our life to change us Let me give you one scripture that you could have as a promise to know that there's victory coming in these various areas. Philippians chapter one, verse six, says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Listen, that is good news that Jesus, if he started the work, he will finish the work. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If you're going to live on mission, if you're going to live saying, no, God, I, God, I'm giving you everything, you gotta, we got to answer his call. But we have to embrace change. Embrace transformation. Because that's what Jesus does. He changes us. The last idea I want to give you from this passage is that Life on, mi- uh, on, on mission actually leaves the familiar. It leaves the familiar. What's it say? They put down their nets and immediately they followed him. Immediately, they immediately left their nets and followed. Him. Notice, they left their nets. Let me just bring that into the uh, 21st century. Jesus, when he showed up to Peter and Andrew, he didn't show up at a church service. He showed up on their job. and what he invited them to required them to lay down their career and let me let me help you with this scene probably you know you know as they you know i can imagine what went through their minds probably very very quickly but here they are They're they're with their nets. They see Jesus saying, follow me. I can imagine that just quickly they they would have thought, but, you know, Jesus, we are adding to the overall economic welfare of Israel in the the region of Galilee. People are depending on us. My family won't eat if I don't hold on to this net. There's There's no supply for me if I don't hold on to this net. Uh, this is what I've always known. We, we know in just a few minutes he's going to call uh, people who have been in the family business of fishing in, in James and John. So this is all they've ever known. They're like, I, I have to, listen, I have to further the capitalistic nature of my business that's going on here. Do you understand what I'm saying? They are clinging to their jobs. So what they left... Had a lot of risk associated with it. And it demanded a lot of trust. You say, Pastor Otis, are you telling everybody to quit their jobs? Absolutely not. (laughs) Please don't do that. What I am saying is you need to prioritize your job as as it is compared to the call of God and the work of God in and through your life. The question that every believer needs to to answer is how does my call, my job in this life further the kingdom? They left their nets. They left the familiar to step into the unknown. And we have to let go of the familiar and the comfortable to live a life on mission. Listen. There are people right now who are leaving the comfort in their nation, Iran. Iran is probably ground zero for the worldwide awakening that's happening. There are more people coming to Christ in Iran right now, probably, than any other nation of the world. And most of that movement is being led by women. And they are coming to Christ. And all people see are their eyes as they are following Christ. They are following Christ. But how many of you know that the stakes are probably a little higher when the leader of your nation is demonically driven and given to a greater ideal that their religion is supposed to rule the world? But listen to how one of the leaders describes leaving the familiar and the comfortable. It says disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus till he comes. Converts don't. Disciples are engaged. Aren't, no, disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Disciples... Cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like put your net down. And follow me into the unknown. This same leader would say every day when she kisses her husband as she's leaving the house. She knows quite possibly she may never come home. There's just a lot more on the line. And what I want you to understand is that when Simon and Andrew were holding their nets. There was something on the line. And them letting go of the net and walking into the unfamiliar is actually a type and a shadow of what all of us are to do. Let go of your net. Let go of the comfort that you have, have, have gathered around yourself and follow Christ. I know what you're thinking. This sounds like my whole life is about to change. Welcome to the kingdom. (laughs) You know, the only thing that makes this kind of lifestyle possible is actually a genuine encounter with the Lord. And um, if if you want to have an encounter with the Lord, you need to get alone with your Bible. And as I was thinking and praying about this message... This last week, I had a profound, and in my personal way, this is the way I would describe it, a violent exposure to a familiar passage. And it was awesome. (laughs) It was so good, and it was this. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul or what will a man give in exchange for his soul and why it was so violent is that in one way many ways I have given all but I have found comfort bumpers in my life where from time to time I notice that I am trying to save my life and 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 here's what the scripture says, that when I am trying to save my life, the only thing I find is loss. But when I lose it all for him, I find a life I could have never produced on my own. I've got to lose my life. I can't, I can't cling to comforts and trying to manufacture some kind of anti-biblical reality when Jesus says, no, you just got to let go of your net and follow me. You say, I don't know what's coming after I drop the net. Neither did they. When we give all, we drop the net and we follow, and here's what we're following in, into, a life of trust. Has anybody ever been around a fishing net? I have. You don't need to get that close to figure out how they smell. <laughs> and the only way that you can tolerate it is if you smell like the net. And when God gives you the revelation of how your net really smells spiritually compared to what he's offering, you just lay that thing down because it will not produce the life that God is offering. I want to just give you one last picture and I'll close with this idea because I want you to understand that Life on a mission. We, we saw what it looks like. There's a picture in the Old Testament. When Joshua is actually taking the people into the promise, which that's the, the comparison that we showed earlier. When Joshua is taking Israel into the promised land, he says, Hey, you need to sanctify yourself, you need to cleanse yourself. And then he commanded the people and said, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Here's what what he's saying. He's saying, listen, there's a type and a shadow of God's spirit. It's the Ark of the Covenant. When the presence of God went into the Jordan River, the scripture tells us that the Jordan River actually stacked up all the way back to a city called Adam. The Jordan River was actually at flood stage. So when the presence of God was about to carry people into the land of promise, a river at a flood stage was pushed back all the way to Adam. Do you see this? Now, he said, this, which is a picture of what Christ did. When Christ died, with a loud cry, it says that the veil was torn from top to bottom and the Spirit of God was released to come and live in temples not made with hands. And what happens when people receive Christ and when Christ died on the cross and gave his spirit to transform us, he pushed sin all the way back to Adam. And then what happens? He says this, uh, don't get too close. Don't think you've got it figured out when you start walking with him. He said, keep a little space, what he was saying, stay humble And keep your eyes on my presence. Follow my presence because where I'm going, you've never been before. You don't know the way. Let me me just say it to you this way. We haven't seen the day of a thousand decisions for Christ in this church, but we will if we'll follow the Spirit of God, if we'll say yes to his call. We haven't seen the day of many churches in Citrus County living in revival, but we will when we follow his call. We haven't seen the day of neighborhoods transformed because of the passion for Jesus that's coming out of one house. Come on, will some of you dare to let your net down and start to believe God to release revival on streets? I'm thankful that we're going to have a move of God in this house, that God's going to do something that people will say, hey, you need to get down to 2728 East Harley Street. God's on the move. But what if every Everybody who came to Calvary took revival to their street and revival started to burn in neighborhoods and people's lives were spilling over. We haven't been that way before, but that's where we're going. Why? Because we're living life on mission. We're letting go of the familiar to step into places we've never been before. Some of you have never led one person to Christ. This year, you're going where you've never been before. This is what God is calling us to. This is life on mission. It starts with personal transformation so that we can make a global impact. It's time as a people that we leave our nets and step into the unknown and follow Christ.